What's up, y'all? I'm JJ McCorvey, a journalist who writes about business and blackness. And I'm Shayna Watson, a fashion industry professional and writer with my eye on the social and cultural impact of trends and style. And, and this, this is your business. business. I drank your wine as you taste mine. What? This sensual stuff. I kissed your lips. You felt my body slip yeah, into your soul. You gotta run. I almost cried because it was so beautiful. No, I mean, really? If you're waiting for me to guess, I'm just going to let you say. Are you serious? No. Okay, I go to the chorus then. Last night. Yes. I wasn't tired of you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, I'll make it let, love right. to you. Let's stop it there. I saw so we the, can, sun, the sun, the moon. The moon. Yeah, okay. But Let's he, stop it there so we can he, keep it a PG Right, podcast. but I do think you get people with the verses. Because like, not everybody right. pays attention. That's exactly right. So, oh, that's the listeners, new challenge? So now on, because <laughs> we, we ran out of black sitcoms. Because so, there's not enough. Because not enough, unfortunately. Um, so we're going to start doing a verse or a line from a verse of a popular black song yeah and like an obscure line yes i feel like you're gonna be way better at this than me though because you know i just had a different upbringing you grew up on white rock music yeah i grew up on like (laughs) gail loves queen Mm -hmm. gail loves paul simon white white gail (laughs) what you rude nothing forget it (laughs) we watched a lot of musicals growing up which black ones the Wiz. What else? Nothing. But we, love, <laughs> we love. Have you ever seen Finian's Rainbow? I have no idea what that is. Okay. Your business. Whatever. You don't get to do that. <laughs> Hello. Hey guys. Hi. Hope you guys are doing well. I know. Thanks for coming back. Let's get started. All right. Let's do your business. So, what's top of mind for me um, this week is the fact that Amazon is continuing to cozy up to the police. <laughs> um, and I mean, you also have Amazon in this room right now. I do. Don't blow up my spot like that. I told you that I'm very conflicted about it. But she's still here. Shana is <laughs> making fun of me because I have an Alexa in my Don't room. say her name. She'll come. <laughs> Alexa, you don't get to be on this podcast. <laughs> oh, look, she hasn't lit up though. Um, but I mean, it gets to you know this notion of like how we sacrifice, you know, privacy for convenience, for convenience 100%. Um, or what we think are you know things that are helping the um, helping move our country forward in certain ways. But Amazon is um, you know continuing to kind of help. Uh, law enforcement create this surveillance state that is making me very uncomfortable. Right. Uh, so last week we talked about how Amazon's uh, shareholders held a vote. They rejected the banning of the sale of its facial recognition te- uh, technology to law enforcement, um, which means that, you know, the concerns that some shareholders had don't matter. <laughs> They're going to keep selling um, Amazon recognition, is the product called, um, to certain police departments so that they can use the technology to identify um, people captured on um, on video and run it um, as a cross sample across its, um, its uh, mugshots that they have of people. Um, the problem with this is that 
It's been shown to be very inaccurate when identifying darker shades of skin. Duh. Um, <laughs> um, uh, highly flawed in design. Um, and so, so we talked about that last week. Now, this past week, there was another story that came out about Amazon and its doorbell camera, which is called Ring. Um, so Ring basically has this neighbor's app where people can upload their camera videos um, and uh, alert the community to like people who they suspect might be um, trying to, I guess, steal break their into their apartments or, or steal, steal their packages. Mm-hmm. And Amazon has also started using these videos in their ads and calling them quote unquote community alerts. So, <laughs> <laughs> so my question is just like, gee, what could go wrong? You know, like with y'all encouraging people to, be vigilant. Be very vigilant mm-hmm. and recording folks who, you know, are in your driveways or whatever for whatever reason, or who you think might be skulking around your neighborhood, um, and then uploading them and calling the police on them right. and saying who's this person. Which it's we like, just joked about, right? There's a white man sitting in front of your apartment <laughs> in his car, and I'm like, you're like, we should call the cops on him, but but jokingly, but that's a joke. But that's not a joke but when it, it comes, comes from right yeah. when you think that people are suspicious because they're brown. Right. Yeah, I feel like if it had been somebody else who you know was not known in the neighborhood and was uh, dark skinned, mm-hmm. you know, it would have been nothing for him to be, you know, for someone just to call to, the cops on him right. and um and while he's just idling in the in his car. Right. Um. So yeah, it just it just kind of you know again put a bad taste in my mouth, but also um, uh, further made me uneasy about this you know increasing surveillance state being created by Amazon and other companies too. I mean there are also like other apps out right now. One's called Nextdoor, another called um, it's called Citizen, where um, they're branded as like neighborhood networking apps, but I people... know someone that works for Nextdoor, mm. but, but I didn't what... know like what they're. Yeah, what happens is a lot of times people just end up like kind of fear mongering and like you know being suspicious of everybody and posting like you know pictures and 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 posting in threads about oh did you see this person what do you mm-hmm. think they're about blah blah blah, and it's like actually property crime has declined significantly significantly over the um the the past few years actually over the past couple of decades um but it's like these companies still need to fear monger in order to profit it's like also amazon why do you need to like you don't be- <laughs> jeff bezos makes like billions a you minute already own everything when is enough enough why do you need to like get people to like be suspicious of each other in order to like make more money and sell more doorbell cameras i just yeah, I'm just very uncomfortable with it. Um, that's what's on top of my for me. Yeah. Well, some kind of good news, I guess. But as as always, my superpower is to find trash in it all. <laughs> but so <laughs> Forbes announced this week that Jay-Z is now hip hop's ver- first billionaire is what mm. they said. Um, A billionaire who's not like putting destructive technology into the world. So, yeah. But also, to me, this label of hip-hop's first billionaire is so interesting because I don't see them doing that 
for other billionaires. Mm. I don't see them saying like, here is this very specific industry's first. He's just a right. billionaire. And right. Jay-Z is not a rapper who happened to be a billionaire. Jay-Z is a businessman. He's an entrepreneur exactly. who has had different Real estate, businesses. art collecting. Mm-hmm. He has a venture capital firm. Like, mm-hmm. So what What about his billions is hip-hop's first? Yeah. That reporting to me just seemed very like, you guys have to make sure you... You put in there why you think we got here. Right. And and then I don't even, I'm sure like some of them, right, don't even, are not even aware of what that, what that does when you mm-hmm. have to put hip hop in front of Biggie. Now to them, that's, to a lot of people who would use that, um, that label for him, they're, they're just thinking, oh, this is how th- this makes sense in my mind. You know, like they don't think. Because they need to right. make sense because they can't just imagine <laughs> that he's just a billionaire. They're like, right. oh, okay, it's because right. of the hip-hop. Got it, got it, got it. Right. Now now, now I, I feel okay about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, that's what I just didn't like on all the reporting. I'm just like, he's a billionaire. Yeah. We really have to make sure that we make it industry-specific. Um, but else? so, claps for Beyonce's husband. He's an entrepreneur who happens to be a rapper. Right. And is married to damn Beyonce, right. who's out here fighting for her personal space. Yes. What did you think about that? My initial thought was that this is what happens when you stay with a man that cheats. Oh. <laughs> is that you can never feel just chill. When I saw the video, so this so this video went viral uh, on Twitter uh, a couple of days ago. And when I saw... The woman leaning over. So she and Beyonce, uh, Beyonce and Jay were sitting front row at whatever basketball game. You know, I don't know sports. Yeah. Um, <laughs> whatever knows? game I it was. I didn't even know basketball was still happening. And this- <laughs> it's like, are sports always on? Um, and the woman who was the, the wife of the owner mm-hmm. of the basketball team, right, was leaning over uh, Beyonce, like in her space leaning over beyonce to talk to jay-z um and you see beyonce give a couple of really (laughs) harsh looks like okay enough yeah right um so i didn't get that i got like when i watched it i got um this person is in my space and i'm beyonce and i'm sitting front row i'm on camera i can't have you right leaning all in front of me lady okay you can't block this yeah I'm on, I'm, I'm on TV on the front row. Yeah. No? I could see that. <laughs> I could see that. Because I feel like I've been in instances where very similar. We obviously weren't on TV in the front row. But it was like a guy that I was with talking and, and, and a woman was talking. And I eventually like to, to let him know that I was uncomfortable with what was happening. I said, do you want me to switch seats? <laughs> That is a very Shayna thing. Because <laughs> it's just like, if y'all, if you need to have this conversation so badly. Right. And so that to me made me wonder if this was about, because the annoyance of personal space, I would have said that. And then y'all talk away. But when the annoyance is also that this woman is talking to your man, then you're not going anywhere. You're so staying you, So put. you were annoyed by both reasons when it happened to you. Yes. Okay. And I wanted the person to know. <laughs> but it, but but if, if talking to this girl is such a priority, we can switch seats. Right. And then you just got to deal with the smoke of that. Mm-hmm. But like, and so for me, it just seemed interesting for her to like stay put and have this. Mm. Of, and like her body felt so rigid of being like, girl, stop speaking to him. When I put myself in Beyonce's situation, it was more for me like, 
lady. Yeah. You about to get it. You about to get right. your hands. Yeah, and like talk to your husband. Where your sorry husband? <laughs> <laughs> um, but so yeah, I just thought claps for Jay Z mm-hmm. on that, and just like you know, this family has a lot of wealth. But I feel like whenever we talk about, um, you know, we talk about Jeff Bezos and this idea of like when is enough enough? Do we? Will we ever have to say that? Like, will we ever think Jay Z and Beyonce are making enough money? Right? It's different. I mean, I don't... For me, I don't think being a billionaire is inherently bad. A problem. Yeah. I think what you do with it is is what makes... You know, what determines the, uh, how your decisions are viewed and, and how your wealth is viewed. What else is on your mind? Uh, Joe <laughs> Biden. What do you do? I can't get him. I just... I obviously want Trump out. I've said this a billion times, but I think Joe is dangerous. This Instagram poll way that he is approaching this campaign, (laughs) like you don't get to just change everything and say times have changed and we all forget that you have been awful since literally before we were born. But he has changed and he, he feels like he has he is able to do that. Right. <laughs> but is is that cha- is it change because I wake up I, th- this is what I this is the analogy I give. If I just had a burger, right? You just watch me have a burger and I say right now, I'm a vegan. Mm-hmm. And then for dinner, I have a burger. <laughs> then when I the minute I stop eating the burger, I say, I'm a vegan. <laughs> At some point, you would be like, girl, that's what not is how... going yeah, on? Yeah, and that's not how it works. That's not right. how being... You don't get to just be a vegan because you're not currently eating meat, mm-hmm. right? It has to be an intention. Mm-hmm. This is how I feel about Joe Biden. This is how I feel about, honestly, a lot of politicians and then a lot of people who come with this no apology, times have changed, is that you don't get to say that only when it works for you. Right. So this week... um, You know, obviously, abortion bills are still a big talk, as they should be. I'm glad that we are still talking about them. But a lot of the Democratic candidates came out this week to talk about the Hyde Amendment, Mm -hmm. which, to be honest, I had never heard before. But the Hyde Amendment is, it was, like, instilled, I think, back in the 1990s. And it is an amendment that bans federal funding for abortion. More precisely, it states that Medicaid will not pay for an abortion unless the woman's life is in danger or the pregnancy resulted from rape or incest. Mm. And the danger of this is that I don't feel that personal values should be dictating where our funds go. Right. Right. It's just like just like we can't only be providing funding to churches that say that right. preach what we believe in. Because if that also if that's the case, then I don't want my federal right. taxes to be going to war. Then right. now what? Right. Yeah. Can yeah. I choose? <laughs> yeah. Can I choose right. for you to not exactly. use my Exactly. But you can choose yeah. when it comes to women's bodies specifically that my that I can't I can't be giving money that you don't ask for, you just take to help women get abortions through Medicaid. Yeah. So Joe Biden has been a staunch supporter of this since it came out. Loud and proud supporter. As recent as last Wednesday, supported it. Then on Thursday, after 22 of the other candidates, which Mm -hmm. is basically all of them, came out against it, he changed his mind. Mm -hmm. From Wednesday to Thursday. 
His his response said, "Since the times have changed, since yesterday, why are all his his position changes dictated by the times changing? No, you're just a relic. <laughs> you're an artifact, and you know he. Of course, he said the same thing about his sexual inappropriateness allegations. Like, he's no, like, the times, he's like, times are, are different. I'm like, no, that was wrong then too. Yeah, it was wrong same with then. Anita Hill. That was wrong then too, and." He came out, so Elizabeth Warren was on CNN and basically got his behind all the way together to talk about how you don't get to straddle the fence about issues like this. Mm. Then he came back and said, if I believe health care is a right as I do, I can no longer support an amendment that makes the right dependent on someone's zip code. Where, where was this thinking in 1990? Or, or the day before yesterday. <laughs> Between Wednesday and Thursday? Right. What was this thinking on Friday? Exactly. Where was this thinking the day before when the rest of your candidates didn't speak up against it? And that's what I just worry about him is that, like, what do you actually stand for? What's the word mercurial when somebody's just, like, changing their positions all the time? Yeah. Mercurial. Subject to sudden or unpredictable changes of mood or mind. If that's not him, I don't know what is. And it's like, I feel like at this point you asked Joe like what he had for breakfast and he's like, hold up. Like, let me go talk to all the black women on my political strategy team so they can tell me what I'm supposed to say. That's the real gag too, right? Like you have, you've assembled this whole like this stellar black women team um, that's going to help you get in these like young people of color. You will support this policy that by and large will affect mostly Mm -hmm. like uh, lower income yeah. women of color. You have to care about black women who aren't going to help you win the presidency. You have to mm. care about the rest of us. Get out of here, Joe. <laughs> I want him out. Um. Also, <laughs> this week, so which do you want to do first? Because I want us to have time to talk about Black Mirror. <laughs> but then I also want us to talk about like some racist things that happened this week. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, we could, let's go into some racist things. Sephora, have you heard all these Sephora stories? I did. I saw the Sephora story, and I just the scissor one. Yeah, yeah. It it kind of it just like it upset me so much that I just kind of kept scrolling. It's one of those things where you just you know you should be angry about, but you don't have like the energy yeah, for it today. Right. Um, mostly because like Sephora. So what well, you start and tell and say why? Yeah. What so happened. I mean, a couple, I think this was a couple weeks ago. Uh, SZA tweeted that she went into Sephora and they like called the security on her because they thought she was stealing. And Rihanna then sent her a gift card and was like, "Go buy your Fenty Beauty in peace, sis." And then this week, Leslie Jones uh, from SNL had an instance where she tweeted that her makeup artist went there and was treated awfully by by the manager at Sephora for very similar reasons. Um, and this was the day after Sephora shut down all their stores for one measly hour for sensitivity (laughs) training. It's like, y'all really think that you can tear down bias and racism in one hour? That's demeaning. But it also makes me think like there isn't any bias training, uh, going on when you hire somebody. Yeah. It's like after the fact. Yet at the same time, y'all want to get in on like the inc- inclusive beauty um, uh, trend so you can make more money. Yeah. You know, another black woman I believe Sephora makes a lot of money from is um, 
Pat McGrath. Pat, yeah, for sure. So it's like, again, like. Yeah. I know. Um, uh. And then also Airbnb this week. They, like, were, there was a video that went viral of a Manhattan host who was caught on tape calling her black guest monkeys. So apparently she rented out her apartment they were under the impression that they had the full apartment, but I guess she was there and yelled at them for keeping their having their music loud or something and then started telling them that they had too many people there. And they were like, oh, well, the listing said that we could have three people here and one like it could the sofa could fit another person. And she said, well, which monkey's going to sleep on the sofa? <gasps> <clears throat> she said she felt unsafe, which is, you know, the chant. And Airbnb has, like, since taking her listing down and all of that. But it's just, like, it's so disappointing to think about how little we can do in peace. Yeah. Right? Like, at this point, we have the money. We have – we're, like, going through all the channels that you should feel comfortable with us going through. Like, And we still get this. We still can't go to Sephora and buy something. We still can't rent an Airbnb. We can just, like, never calm down. I don't know. Not to be all kumbaya, but I would like to imagine, like, being seen as equal at some point. That's nice. I don't know. <laughs> all right. Black Mirror. <laughs> Black Mirror. So I love Black Mirror. Yeah. Even before this season. You know, I've been, I've seen every episode from season one. And... I text you, I don't know, Thursday night and was mm-hmm. like, please. <laughs> yes, you did. Watch the first episode of this new season before Saturday. And I did. And you did. At I love you. in the morning for you. Yes. So, I guess tons of spoilers if yeah. people haven't seen it. Yeah, because well, we're going to We're going to dig into it, okay. but you have to watch it. So, do you want to explain what happens? And it's called Striking Vipers. So, it's called Striking Vipers. Anthony Mack and Yaya play two friends who are in college. They um, uh, like playing video games together. Um, but then I guess they graduate. And then 11 years later, Yaya comes back into um, uh, Anthony Mackey's life um, and gives them a, a, a virtual virtual reality uh, video game uh tool mm-hmm. so so he's like yeah man just try it or whatever and they um this uh video game headpiece it transports the players into a virtual reality world where um the person feels everything that happens to the character in this virtual reality um yaya's character uh uh, chooses a female fighter mm-hmm. named Roxette, and Anthony chooses his favorite. You know, in fighting games, there's called your main because mm-hmm. I, I like fighting games. Mm-hmm. So his main is uh, a character called Lance. Both of these characters, these fighting game characters, are Asian, mm-hmm. but they get to fight as them in the game. Mm-hmm. And then, so they they're fighting, they're fighting, they're fighting, and really? the tensions get so high that they they through the characters. the characters kiss each other in the virtual reality. in the virtual reality yeah um and then the kissing the in the, in the next round mm-hmm. turns to effing <laughs> not effing <laughs> i 
having sexual <laughs> having sexual relations <laughs> in the virtual reality game. Yeah. Um and and, and now Anthony and Mackie they can feel everything. They can feel everything. Anthony Mackie is now effectively cheating on his wife with his best friend mm-hmm. in a virtual reality video mm-hmm. f- fighting game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, it, and it goes on. Goes on. Right? By the end, so so Nicole Bihari, she's like, who was so good in this? Yeah. Um, she's like, I know something is up. You got to tell me. Right. You don't think there's times that I want to like strip off my clothes and go cheat too? Right. Tell me. I know you're cheating. And um, he ends up by the end of the movie telling her, and w- the the movie this sh- by by the, by the it show feels like a movie it is <laughs> by the show's end. Um, you see them exchange these little boxes uh, on, on his birthday. On his birthday, and in his box is the virtual reality headset. So she's giving him permission to go play, <gasps> and in her box um, that she gives to him. Um, or that he takes from her is her wedding ring. So he goes to play with his friend again, and Nicole and she gets takes to, off her wedding she ring. Takes, she gives the wedding out. ring. She goes out and she sees a guy who she's seen before, and the assumption is that they go get it on. <sighs> <laughs> this episode, I did not expect. I was when I tell you, me and Philip were <sighs> both like gasping for dear life i was like what's happening (laughs) like i just didn't expect it the setup didn't feel there for me but what i really enjoyed about the show and the discussions that have come after both with you and other people that have seen it is that it does make us really talk about sexuality identity and the nuances associated with them. And then what it made me think about, which we'll get to, is the violence associated with the tension around sexuality and identity. Hmm. Right? When they're in a fighting game, there's a scene where in real life they kiss and then they fight afterwards, Mm -hmm. right? And like, yeah. So we got to come back to that. Because to me, that was my biggest takeaway. Is the... we? I, I think often... We talk about the internal wrestling, right, when we're trying to figure out our sexuality or identity and how we identify. But we don't talk about the violence associated until there's, like, all these black trans women being murdered, right? Hmm. Like, and so that that was instantly where my mind went. That's interesting. I I didn't go there. Yeah. But I, this was... A lot. And then for two black men, and then to have sexual sexuality around two Asian characters who are also often, Asian women are often fetishized, but Asian men are often demasculine. Mm. What's the word? Emasculated. Emasculated, mm-hmm. right? And like, to have that be, it was just a really, in, who whoever did this, like, really put their foot in I the details. I have to say, I loved it. I, I too, like, really appreciate it. Like, the one it not being a cookie cutter ending Mm -hmm. like you you thought that either they were gonna run off together right um who the friends the friends or that he was gonna totally cast the guy out of his life altogether. right which is what i thought i love that it was like it was a real life solution i've never seen that kind of portrayal of sexuality between two black men on screen ever where it's like i'm 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 not 
gay or maybe I am and I just don't know. Um, but I'm, I, I want to find out what's happening here. I love that exploration. Yeah. Like to me, the pivotal part was him calling him up, having them meet like in the rain and him saying, we have to kiss. Because yeah. either we kiss and this is a us thing and we move forward with it or we feel nothing. Okay, so when they kissed, do you, do you think, think they felt so something? I, I do. I think that they were both. I think that's why the fight happened. Yes. Because they're both like literally fighting it so much in their they're mind like, that they have what to, to do fight each this. other. Yeah. And that's when the testosterone is just like, Ugh! Which is why, which is why I, that's what brought me to the violence, right? Yeah. That's associated because oftentimes when you hear about, especially black trans women being killed, it's from men that they were involved with, hmm. and so it's like, or or, or men, right, or men who were interested right. in that. There's a frustration that's like I yes. don't know how else to express this, so this but to fight, and then it's like set in a fighting game yep. where literally what you do in a fighting game is just like brutalize the person until they die, right? Um, and then, so they fight in the game, and then they fight in real life, and then the police come. <laughs> this is layers. Yes. This is layers. Yes. Because when the police came, of course, I'm like, oh, are they right. going to kill one of right. them? Right. Just like in Get Out, when the police came. Right. And you're like, oh, yeah, it's over. Police are not yeah. heroes yeah. to us. Um, yeah. It was... It was ve- very But also, good. and what we haven't talked about, which I think gets us back to, you know, how we wrap all this up into your business, is the implications of technology. Yeah. Like, like he, cause he was, it was like a whole new thing that he didn't know how to deal with. Yeah. Like, we talk about like how innovation like just accelerates our way of life in so many reasons, in so many ways. And this new innovation, a lot of these like virtual reality headsets, like this exists. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, I think they're still figuring out the, the, the physical, sensation part of it but there are like sex toys that like you know that allow people to remotely yeah you know can stimulate you or whatever um so i i i like that it questioned like as black mirror tends to do like what is the end game with this technology Mm -hmm. and and what what happens when you know technology disrupts not just industries and how we buy our shoes or whatever but also how we have relationships right so yeah today we have Raphael smith who's the senior product design lead at ido.org which is an organization that works to bring the power of design to global changes related to poverty and he talks a lot about what we've been talking about which is bias design and when design when things aren't designed with the end user in mind what happens there Raphael has been working with them on design for underprivileged communities. And he knows um, his stuff. He knows his stuff. Yeah, so come on back. Okay, so today we have Raphael Smith, who's a senior product design lead at IDEO.org, who works to bring the power of design to global changes related to poverty. So hello. Hello, hello. Thank you for being so, here today. What's going on? You know. Just living, pushing through. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Okay, so you know JJ. Yes. And then you and I are now very close after 15 minutes of talking. (laughs) Right. So it's just like lots of friendship in here. We're just ready to (laughs) talk. Exactly. Mm -hmm. All right, JJ, get us started. We have a billion, like, scrolls worth of questions for you. So I hope you don't have brunch plans. So, Raphael, you and I were talking a minute ago about. 
this uh the concept of design and like what mm-hmm. that means to different people mm-hmm. and i think that a lot of people when they hear about design especially for business owners the first thing that comes to mind is logo website mm-hmm. app mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. <laughs> but you specialize in uh design as a process absolutely um so can you kind of like help us to understand like the big D design. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, attend it. Um, and how we can be thinking about that. Yeah, and I think at the at the most fundamental level, I think design is moving from an existing state to a preferred state, right? And that can be applied to anything. And so the the I think the most important thing to understand here is that design is a process and not just an output, right? And so for entrepreneurs thinking about trying to deliver the most important value proposition to their users that starts with fundamentally understanding your users and for us like that that's where design starts is from that deep understanding of and having empathy for who you're designing for who's using your stuff absolutely Mm -hmm. and i think that in the the big mental shift there like the focus that, that i think has been like catalytic for for me in my career has been understanding design like the the problem is not just solving the problem Mm -hmm. but the problem is defining the problem right Mm -hmm. and design process is what helps us go from a blank piece of paper or like anything is possible to really honing in on the key factors of what our users need and then going through a process of developing iterating testing our way into greatness Mm -hmm. So a lot of my maturity, I think I've as my maturity as a designer, I've grown up in the world of IDEO and IDEO.org. And IDEO is a design firm, um, global design firm that started about 40 years ago. And in design firm years, that's like a, that's a long time. And it, it really started as this kind of ragtag group of engineers who started what at the time was pretty radical, putting the end user at the center of their process, right? Mm-hmm. And now that seems really obvious, but... Um, that was this radical shift in user centricity when it came to product development. And the first kind of claims to fame from IDEO were designing the first computer mouse for Apple. Mm-hmm. The first laptop computer came out of IDEO. And so IDEO grew over the years as the beginning of like really bringing innovation to product design to starting to ask the question of like, what would it look like to use design and this methodology that we've developed around designing products in a human-centered way, not just to physical products, but what would it look like to design digital products? What would it look like to design um, experiences and services for hospital and airports? And I think IDEO over the years has really expanded what design is and what design can be used for. Mm-hmm. Um, and out of that kind of questioning came the birth of like, what would it look like for designed to be applied to the social sector. And that was the birth of IDEO.org, um, which is in many ways the functions is like the nonprofit arm of IDEO and really tackling complex global issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and we practice what is called human-centered design, which is a process of really building empathy for who it is you're designing for and understanding their hopes, their fears, their aspirations, and not just those things in a box, but the broader context that shapes their world mm-hmm. and designing from a place of deep empathy from the, from the with the users. So, so give us an example, yeah. like some concrete example of, Absolutely. How, of how you've done that like, mm-hmm, in your work. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I'll give a, maybe can I give an example of like research and prototyping because they're both like really big parts of our process. And so uh, I think a really clear example of starting with research and design research. Um, a number of years ago, IDEO was asked to, um, to reimagine the patient experience in a hospital. And, um, 
instead of, I think initially the hospital administrators were like, well, maybe you can like change the colors of the, the, the or change the lobby or change the like uniforms or the, the staff. And the designers really got started with their process. And one of their research processes was to admit themselves into a hospital and carry around this like camcorder, mm. documenting everything that they saw, like putting themselves in the shoes of the end user. And at the next client session, they started playing videos of what they were seeing and they pressed play. And what they showed the client in this initial meeting was minute after minute after minute of white ceiling tile. Right. And mm -hmm. like that, like the, the hospital wanted to reimagine the patient experience, but was even though they were close to their users, mm -hmm. they were imagining what they thought that was. Right. And what dominates a patient's experience often is laying, laying yeah. staring at the ceiling. Right. Yeah. And I think <laughs> the moral of that story when it comes to design research is that, like this is what happens when we put ourselves in the shoes of our end users that we can unearth insights that would otherwise just be hidden in plain sight. Mm. Which I feel like it's, you know, that that is the design and the end user when you have a product, but that's also just how we relate to other humans, mm. right? Should be very focused on that. Like it's not about if I'm if I'm really out here setting to help, mm. then it, it shouldn't be about what I think that you need. It should be about me walking a day in your shoes if possible Absolutely. to figure out what the real issue is. So, you know, you gave the example in the hospital yeah, of yeah. making sure that they are recording what your patients see. Yeah. I think that that is that was for that example to help you figure out the design of that. Mm -hmm. But I think on a smaller level, a lot of us are walking around trying to, you know, if, if my social if my social justice um example is that I really want to help mentor children in at-risk communities. Mm, I don't mm, live in their community. Mm, mm, I don't go to their school. Yeah. And so when I show up as a mentor, I'm giving what I think that they would want, mm, right? I'm giving mm. what I maybe wish that I had had growing up in an environment that's different from them. Yeah. So I think my question is more around how you see us being able to grab this data even when we're not designing an end-use product. Yeah, yeah. That's a good question. How can we use it in everyday experiences? Um, I think a lot of it is like, I mean, this sounds really simple, but just sitting and listening, right? And like listening, not just with your ears, but a, a observation, like mm -hmm. understanding um, n not just, I, I think we talk about, there's sometimes a difference between what people say versus what they do versus what they think and feel. And like, I'll give you an example. I'll come right back to your question. Like if I were to ask you, and I think this comes to your mentorship question, like if I were to ask you, like, what did you eat for breakfast? You might say, or someone might say like, or like they might say, I like have my favorite omelet with like fresh cut, like fruit every day and hand squeeze orange juice. If I slightly change the question and say like, what did you have for breakfast today? Mm -hmm. They might be like, today was different. Like mm -hmm. I was busy. Right. I woke up, my kids, like one of them couldn't find their shoes. The other one was crying. And so like <laughs> when I got everything settled, I just ate a banana on my way to work. Right? right. And so I think as designers, as people living in the world are like, our as entrepreneurs, our goal it needs to be not just designing for people's aspirations or what you brought up of what we think people want right, this ideal this breakfast in the morning absolutely yeah. but designing for what people actually want and need and mm. i think that like that the the core of that for me is understanding it's not just about like asking questions and research it's like 
people, the difference between people say versus what they do, what they think and feel takes time, right? Like research is about relationships. It's about how do you spend time with this young child you're mentoring? How do you spend time in this community in which you are trying to create change and mm. be learning with your eyes, your ears, your heart, your observations and in a full package? Mm. You've done work on unconscious bias, mm. which is like, I could talk to you about that forever, Oof, but yeah. um, I read in something I think JJ sent me or the research I did where you said, the question is not, do we have bias, but rather, which are ours? Mm. So given that we are educated on bias literally before birth, mm -hmm. from birth, right? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of it saves us. A lot of it is necessary. Mm -hmm. do, do you really think that that is something that can be unlearned and is that something where analysis can analysis and research and data collection can allow us to address some of those things mm. can bias be unlearned <laughs> <laughs> i think it can be mitigated right mm -hmm. um and i think you said analysis and analytics i think like becoming more aware of the problem is the first step yeah um i think that I'd say yes and. I think yes analysis, yes analytics, but in service of what? I think in service of people being able to better recognize their bias and prioritizing things that mitigate. Um, and people like really viscerally understanding the effects that bias has um, and how it's detrimental to so many parts of our uh, society and the world and the things that we're trying to build. And um one of my, can I share a story? Yeah, one of, one of my favorite stories, when I was doing this research, I did, one of my favorite things is to, to do is to like work, explore design and technology at the intersection of another like domain or industry that I don't know much about. And so like a couple of years ago, I was doing a bunch of exploration around the intersection of design and technology and bias. And one of the case studies I found that really like lit me up to think that there's something here was I found... Um, this case study of like, so mid-century in the US, the top orchestras were 5% women. And um, in the early 50s, uh, some of the Boston Symphony Orchestra, some of the administrators had the foresight to recognize that that probably has nothing to do with actual talent, but rather some biases in the system. Right. And so they started experimenting. And so I think the early test, one was like, um, they... Uh, their early tests failed. Like they initially developed what was called blind auditions, right? So they put a curtain between judges and performers auditioning for this symphony. And the first test failed because they could, the judges could tell the gender of the person based on their sound the shoes would make as they mm -hmm. enter the room. I was going to say, I know there's something. <laughs> so that that's poor right. design. <laughs> yeah. And, but so they did, so they did some iterations, right. right? They iterated on that prototype. And what they did was, I think the final design was like, there is a curtain between judge and performer. There is a carpet on the room where the people take off their shoes before entering the room. And that simple intervention, which I think is absolutely a design intervention, shifted the 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 demographics of orchestras to go from five percent to now sitting around fifty percent mm. right in a couple of decades and it's a, a radical shift mm -hmm. in gender dynamics of something like a symphony orchestra and i think to go back to the original question like the deep-seated belief that male equals equals virtuoso was undermining the ability of these orchestras to be selecting top talent mm. right and so it isn't until an orchestra can recognize that like our sexism, our racism, our this-ism mm -hmm. is 
killing us. Mm-hmm. I think that's where analytics can maybe, this big maybe, <laughs> wake people up to how detrimental bias and unconscious bias right. are to what we're actually trying to achieve. Right. And even from, I talk about this all the time, even from like, not even a, I want to be a better human standpoint, but like the business, right? It's affecting mm-hmm. your business. And that's what Absolutely. I always say about companies because I feel like this goes into, you know, workplace diversity is like at the end of the day, it's not that you need to be out here, let's heal the world and hire people of color, but it's like you're missing out on talent yeah. that could increase your bottom line because of this. Yeah. And so that like what, what you said, I think that's where the analysis comes in where it's like at the end of the day, yes, as people, we should want to be bridging these mm-hmm. gaps, but also as a business. Yeah. You want to be doing what your business is here to do, and yeah. like you're missing out on people that could get you there because of this. Mm, mm. Yeah, I was I was thinking about um, about this before you got here because um, I remember your work on unconscious bias. I, I saw a, a, a presentation that you did mm, when we first met. Yeah, yeah, when yeah. we first met on unconscious bias and how that shows up, and I I think about like like Amazon, right? Like one of the reasons that it's facial recognition technology is racist <laughs> mm. is because um they didn't feed it with enough data uh, on black people or airport mm. scanners or airport scanners mm. or those like soap dispensers that don't recognize <laughs> black yeah, the hands, racist right soap right like <laughs> so one like do you think that at this point in time in 2019 like where race and gender are like very mainstream yeah. issues is this is it just intentional does it just move from unconscious to like very conscious, conscious bias. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. like, I don't think it moved from unconscious to conscious. I think it's like, I mean, this is the world we live in, right? This is the, yeah, this is the history of oppression in the world we live in. Is like, mm-hmm. these are just, these institutions have been born from collective beliefs that this society holds on blackness, on queerness, on otherness. Right. And so like, if these are the philosophies under which these institutions are born, of course they're baked into everything that is created, whether yeah. it's the company's policies or the algorithms that drive the artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Like it's, yeah. Yeah. And then just one more follow up on that coming down to like a small business owner. Right. Mm. I, I was thinking about this, like what, how, how does unconscious bias show up? And the cafes I go to, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, the the grocery store. And, like, one thing I was talking to Shane about is, you know, sometimes you go to a place and they don't have, like, a, a, a rail and a handrail in the bathroom mm-hmm. for a, a disabled person or, like, you know, steps. Per- person with a disability. Yeah. For a person with a disability. Or steps, you know, or, or um, uh, what do you call it? Um, yeah, like a ramp or A ramp, you yeah. know, for yeah. accessibility to get through the door so you end up having like this cumbersome experience you know where they need like three people to help them get in the door um what are some other ways you think you know just thinking about like again like our audience which is you know people just starting something mm. or um hoping to start something like that uh unconscious bias shows up in the design of our products and services and how can you know just starting out from the outset we can kind of mitigate those mm. It's a really good question. I'll give some ideas. I don't know if I, I wish I had the okay. answer. Um, I mean, to your earlier question, I think diversity is a huge part of this problem, right? That we don't have in 
the decision making rooms of right. design like they're you don't have multi minds in absolutely there. Yeah. right that like we don't have certain identities represented in the creation of this process like that is one of the foundational issues that leads to design is that the lack of diversity that we see in spaces and i think that's where prototyping can come in really handy right and like we talk a lot about prototyping early and often because again you can't just hire if you're a small startup with four people, you can't hire the entire world to be represented on your product development mm. team. And so uh, prototyping for us is a huge part of the process. So we talked a little about like design research earlier. And the next step for us is to move from a place of theory, which is an idea, right? And to uh, prototype, like debunk, it sounds like really complicated and engineered. It's just like testing. It's just testing, uh -huh. right? It's like an experiment. Like what is the quickest, fastest, cheapest way that we can test mm -hmm. an idea? And, um, and is it, sorry, is it like yeah. simulation, right? Because when I think of prototyping, it's yeah. like we're like doing something in a small scale of how we plan to do it bigger. Mm. In some that, ways, it okay. can be, yeah. Maybe I'll give a concrete example. Is yeah, that, that would be helpful. Yeah, and so I'll give an example of a product I worked on um, just last year, we built a chatbot for financial services. And so chatbot, for those who don't know, chatbot is like, uh, but if you go to a website and that little thing pops thing up, pops oh, yeah, up like, help you. contact us. How can I help you? Yeah. yeah. Or like, if you think of Alexa or Google home, those are voice activated chatbots, right? So she turn on. Wow. She like, <laughs> she, I don't like That's her. Wild. I'm like an anti this situation. Yeah. She's going to publish this podcast. Yeah, we've had it. Exactly. <laughs> She'd she be like, sneak peek. I'm right? very torn about Ooh, it. I can't have her. I can't have her in my house. Yeah. So, so that's like chatbots take on like voice activated chatbots. There's like just text based chatbots. And so we were developing this text based chatbot for the financial industry. And, um, software is really expensive to build, right? And so if we would have just come up with this idea in our heads and then gone straight to engineering and dumped half a million dollars into like building out the full code base and launching this product, we could have gone the, really the wrong direction. And so what we did was we came up with this idea and thought, what's the fastest, quickest, cheapest way we can test this? And so what we did was this financial services agency that, that offers um, financial coaching we signed up some of their clients for this like chatbot assistant, right? It was like the little teeny idea of, of the big product we wanted to launch. And rather than building an actual chatbot through code or artificial intelligence, we our design team simulated the chatbot, right? So for a full week, we had users were actually signing up for this service, which was a personal assistant chatbot financial planner, right? And when they would reach out to ask a question about their 401k or about their debt or about their behind on rent, we were simulating, we were with financial coaches just texting back the answers on WhatsApp or mm -hmm. on text messaging, right? Mm -hmm. And so in the two weeks that we ran this prototype, we had real people interacting with our idea, mm -hmm. the big idea that we had without writing a single line of code, right? And so prototyping is a way that like how do we take the big the grandeur of the idea we had and break it down to a smallest piece yeah. and think of the cheapest fastest way that we can test it yeah so you you worked on a company uh or at a company recently um called broaden which helped organizations address blind spots in their recruiting mm. and so that made me curious about like what diversity is like in the design industry yeah um hmm. <laughs> i'm sure like you have some experiences that kind of inspired you to to do that kind of work and um yeah so tell us about that 
Yeah, so I, that was a startup I worked on. Broaden was an analytics company. The, the idea was an analytics company to help companies be more aware and identify their own blind spots and how diversity and inclusion was showing up or not in their businesses, right? And like, whatever that expression is, like, um, you manage what you measure. The goal is like, how do we take some of the things that are invisible in the workplace and make them more visible so they're actionable? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that was a startup I tried for about a year and a half. As it turns out, it's really hard to raise money. That's <laughs> like, um, and so I, I'm no longer working on it, but I was, uh, I learned a lot in that time. And I think to your broader question of like just diversity in the design field. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a challenge. Like there's not a lot of representation of black or brown folks or people who embodied other identity, other identities. Um, and I think through that process, I just learned a lot. And I'd be really curious on your thoughts on like where we are in the broader sector of the conversation of diversity in general, because now it's like the hot button mm-hmm. issue. Everyone's talking about it. Everyone does a training, everyone. I think like, the biggest thing I walked away from that year and a half of thinking of that industry was like, I think we're stuck in this like 1.0 model of what diversity is, right? It's yeah. like, how do we get more black or brown or other bodies into these really privileged spaces, right? right? Mm-hmm. And But I not think, how to like inc- yeah. include them in the processes and make them feel comfortable and make sure they have like a promotion track. And, and create a diverse environment, right? Yeah. It's like, don't, it's like. It's like what what used to happen still does in mm-hmm. marketing where you want to market to black people so you put a black person. Yeah, totally. Instead of then figuring <laughs> out like, do black people even use this in what context, yeah. right? Like, because we have a culture of our own. And so yeah. I think a lot of times it's like, yeah, we have like a black COO now, but it's like, then what is the environmental space that you've made mm-hmm. to make this a diverse environment where someone that doesn't, that where white is not the default yeah. of all of your assumptions. Yeah. I think that I work in... At a very white company in a Mm. very white industry. And I think for me, it's like there's a lot of black people in the mailroom. And so I know that your diversity numbers as far as employees probably looks okay. Because the whole mailroom is black. But Let's slice that data by... Right. Right. And when you get into that C-suite, what does that look like? (laughs) And I think, yeah, so I I think inclusion, like, right, that's the difference between diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. And I think there's another, maybe it's a question for the two of you. Like, I I was really inspired in that time. I I heard Van Jones say this quote, like, it's not just getting diverse. It's not just, um, it's not just making rich groups more diverse it's about how do we make diverse groups richer right and like Mm -hmm. i think this like 1.0 of diversity has been like let's get black and brown folks into the googles into the facebooks into the airbnbs of Mm -hmm. the world right but like what then what and then what right (laughs) but what about this the wealth gap in this country is massive what about the second part of that sentence right how do we make diverse groups richer you know, I, I cover diversity in tech a lot, yeah. and this is one of the issues there, too. You talk about, like, the human-centered approach. It's like, okay, it's not just, you know, hiring. Uh, I'll back up. So, an example, I interviewed recently this um, this young woman, a black woman, who works at MailChimp. She's a software engineer. Mm-hmm. And she was saying how, she was saying how, like, MailChimp does, has been doing a good job of, like, recruiting like other black engineers, but a lot of people don't want to acknowledge that there is a pipeline problem. And I think part of it is the fact that we don't want to, we don't want to cop to and give any ground on the idea that there might not just not be enough like 
black designers mm. or black mm. uh, engineers, mm. right? And so if we know that th- that that's not happening enough, then it goes the problem goes even deeper, right? So like, what kind of STEM learning like are you know high school students getting like are, from starting from kindergarten? And, and you know this too because yep. you had you had a, um, a a talk with high schoolers like who like do they know that fashion is a possible route for them and how do they get into it and how how do you get into design and what does design mean like i think a lot of things are just not readily available like for young people Mm -hmm. and it it just goes deeper and deeper and deeper yeah and do you this is (laughs) very existential but do you feel like there's we've gone too far for equality to be possible Right. When I think about what you're talking about and like just like how deep the system goes, especially in this country. And we're talking about inclusion over diversity and creating these open spaces like. Can we (laughs) can we even make a dent? What's the the point? Trash it off. It's like the climate change question for race. right? (laughs) It's just like, right. Are we too far now? And we should just like. Make whatever little progress we can what? until the snow caps melt and the polar bears mm. die, or like it's just like, ugh, don't mind me. But this is why I think, like, I mean, JJ and I before the show were talking about, like, this is one of the reasons I think design and imagination is so foundational for people that come from historically marginalized populations, mm. right? Like, I'm one of the books that I've read this year that I found most inspirational is Adrian Marie Brown's book Emergent Strategy, and she had this line that like stopped me in my tracks where. She said something like, um, she was talking about imagination and how foundational that is for um, for marginalized communities. And, and she said, like, for many of us, we are living the imagination of someone else's ancestors, right? Mm. One that saw us mm. as criminal or as other um, or as a problem or as a victim needing to be fixed, right? Like, and that is what I think the power of design is, is like, how do we take how do we reclaim that power and imagine our own futures mm. i love that because i've heard that phrase used but like we're living from the dream of our ancestors right and mm. we say that when it's a positive mm. thing and we're out mm. here like making financial moves and but it's like someone else's ancestors had a different imagination yeah. and we're living that also yeah so mm-hmm. and that's like yeah. the yeah like that to me like in the in the space of design like i'm one of the things that's really fascinating right now is speculative design mm. And like that, I mean, it's been around for a long time, but only recently have I heard it used in the context, which like have really blew my mind. And one of, I was having a conversation with a buddy not that long ago, um, this guy from Brooklyn's brother named Rasu, and he was saying, so he got asked to teach a class on, um, at NYU on reimagining or redesigning the criminal justice system, mm. right? And he walks <laughs> into the class, right? Like what a topic, <laughs> daunting topic to take on. And he walks in and on day one was like, you know, throw out your syllabus. That's not what we're going to focus on this semester. Like designing or redesigning the criminal justice system is not what we're focusing on. We're going to reimagine. We're going to imagine a post-carceral America. Hmm. Right. And like that is that to me, that's when I get excited about design. Mm -hmm. Like those are two fundamentally different questions. Redesigning criminal justice or imagining a post-carceral America. Hmm. Like those are two really different questions Mm -hmm. that end in two really different answers right and like who designed the criminal justice system it wasn't us right right? like what would it look like how do we start to imagine these worlds and that like and i'm not even like that is next level shit for me like (laughs) i don't even know how to think or even begin to answer that question but like that is like how do we equip every young person with that 
the agency to even think that we can dream that big right. and to start answering questions at that scale. Yeah. Like that is the power of design and imagination to me. So I love to give, ask one practical thing, right, mm. for our listeners. So if I am someone listening to this and I have a lot of thoughts and like what you're saying is resonating with me as far as where I want to go with my career or just starting something, mm. what is your first step of advice for me once I stop listening to this podcast? What is something I can do to then be on the path to either making a career out of design mm. or just taking what's in my mind and putting it out into the world? Yeah. Really good question. I think the place I'll start is like, I think it's important and I'm always giving myself this advice as much as I am to anyone who's listening, but like, I think our dreams are our responsibility and giving ourselves hmm. the time it takes to envision our futures, right? Like when I'm at my best, I spend 10 minutes every night imagining like, what is it that I really, like, what is this future? What does me thriving in the world look like? And I think the closer I get to defining that North Star for myself, and it's constantly changing, changing and evolving, like all the other things and my actions tend to follow that North Star in the direction of where I really want to go. And so the, the first advice that like I'm giving to myself and everyone else is mm -hmm. like, how can we be really intentional about giving ourselves the space to dream? And what does it look like to take baby steps towards that action, right? And like how do we work through the discomfort of, a daunting, I don't know how to get from step A to step B, right? And sometimes it's like, we just got to show up to the microphone or to the blank piece of paper or to the canvas. And like, even when we don't want to, it's like, how do we push ourselves to just 15 minutes in the morning every day, right? Like, what's that like wisdom or expression, like constant dripping hollows a stone, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how do we show up a little tiny mm -hmm. bit every day? Mm -hmm. Um, I think those are my two pieces of advice because it really depends on the on the craft, right? But like, how do we give our spells, ourselves the space to dream and be really deliberate about that? And then how do we show up to whatever that medium is on a regular basis? Yeah, I love that. My dad always says vision takes a, is a decision, mm. right? So we have to like, right? right? Herman, shout out Herman. Herman. <laughs> right. Um, all right. Thank you so much. Yeah, this was thank you all. beyond awesome. Like nice, these are like you. the brain talks I love to have mm -hmm. on a Saturday. So thank you so much for coming out. Absolutely. Thanks, Rafa. Yeah, thank you both. That was really good. It was. He has my mind thinking in like yeah. all new ways. Right. And I love like <laughs> everything he was saying, like then there'd be a, a new portal in my mind that opened it. I'm like, but what about this? And I love that idea of like our dreams being our responsibility. Yes. We we got it. And like. And thinking big. Right. And responsibility means you have to do something yeah. about it. Yeah. Make time for your for, for your dreams. Right. And like figuring out what they look like and how to get there. Yeah. So that was awesome. All right. Are you ready to LLC? Let's do it. Are you loving anything? So I'm loving uh, the fact that Google might be banned from uh, San Francisco. Prime. What? <laughs> Why? <laughs> so um, earlier this week, there was um, a Vox uh, journalist named Carlos Maza who uh, does these videos for Vox. He'll take down like any issue. Like one of his uh, most recent interviews uh, or videos was when he explained how you know, even though you're not watching Fox News, you're not tuned into it, like you're still watching Fox News because they set the tone for so much of like what gets covered. 
right in hmm. in, in journalism mm-hmm. because because they make all these like minuscule things like so loud um and so obviously that means that a lot of like uh conservative personalities don't like him and so there's another youtuber named steven crowder who has you know called him all kinds of homophobic names and slurs um on youtube and carlos got tired of it and he tweeted about it and said um you know every time this guy you know uh says something in one of these videos about me which by the way gets get millions of views um people like come at him with hate mail they like you know hack his you know his accounts he gets doxxed you know where like um he gets like all these you know random people texting and calling him um and so he added youtube which is owned by google um and talked to, and basically tried to compel them to like do something about this harassment um Google said they were doing like a internal review or whatever. Um, and then at the end of it, um, they decided that the videos did not live up, did not um, match its uh, requirement to like take down the videos, even though like this guy was like calling him all kinds of fags and, and all it was, it was crazy. Um, and so the, the funny thing about this is that like, uh, uh, hours later, I believe they decided to demonetize the guy's account. Um, instead of just like taking a video down, they made it so that he can't make money off of the, mm-hmm. off but, of the, but he can still spread the he hate. He can still spread it. Um, and so, um, activists have gotten together, um, and said that Google, <laughs> they don't want Google to be able to, um, uh, participate in San Francisco's uh, Pride Parade, which is which is coming up, um, and I just love it. And what and one of the guy, one of the guys who is leading the charge to like get them banned from the parade is a former uh, Google employee. <laughs> ah, that's great. Um, so I hope that um, you know. I'm not going to say I hope that Google doesn't get to participate, but I hope at least that this gets them to um, learn how to, uh, you know, make the whole banning and demonetizing process more efficient so that people who are being harassed don't have to, like, sit and wait while y'all get y'all stuff together. Right. So that was my loved. Um, And then a quick cancel is the Family Dollar. So Family Dollar is... I love Family Dollar. (laughs) Flaming Dollar is adding <laughs> alcohol to its stores. Um, and this would be cool if Family Dollar did not primarily serve uh, low-income neighborhoods. Um, and a lot of, you know, in the stories I've read, a lot of people have, you know, been saying that they don't want, um, you know, there's already liquor stores around here. Why right. do we need, like, Family Dollar coming, like, making this problem worse and, like, um, you know, selling liquor to people who don't need easy access, you know, to cheap liquor, um, in our neighborhoods, um, and yeah, I just it to me was another example of, you know, corporations, uh, making money off of lower income neighborhoods without much thought to, um, you know, the effects of their efforts. So that was it canceled okay this week <laughs> okay 
Um, so I have a learned and a canceled, and both, funny enough, are like dating related. Um, because I'm back out here dating, mm-hmm. and I feel like what it's reminded me of is like, you know, it's easy to like stay in your bubble and just talk to the people that you know and love. But I feel like dating or otherwise, once you get out here and start talking to strangers, you get to see a bigger section of humanity. Um, and so what I'm canceling is the, I guess it all boils down to colorism, but basically the, the, the assumptions that we make with our attractions, right? So I'm lighter skinned, right? And so I feel like the question of what are you or where are your parents from is literally the second thing that I'm asked. Mm. And I'm just like, what? Why? And, you know, a video came out, a video went viral this week that reminded me just how much this irks me of two parents who had just had a baby and they're saying to the baby hasn't been out of her mother for five minutes. And they're saying, oh, I thought you'd have pretty eyes. (gasps) The baby has like brown eyes. It's a black baby with brown eyes. And they're like, oh, man, I thought you would have like pretty eyes because I think the mom has like really light eyes. And I'm just like, damn. This baby got to take maybe two breaths here on earth and is already being taught that pretty is light, pretty is like as close to European as possible mm-hmm. or or what we consider, right? Because light eyes, white people didn't create light eyes. But mm-hmm. this idea that good eyes or pretty eyes on your daughter would have been light reminds me why now I'm getting these 30 plus year olds that are attracted to the fact that they think I could be something other than black. Mm -hmm. And my response is always, both my parents are black. So like if you were here looking for something that is outside of your blackness, you are barking up the wrong (laughs) damn tree. Yeah. And that reminds me of like, you know, all the other comments that black, older black people can make to black Mm -hmm. kids like oh where you going all that pretty hair Mm -hmm. you know or you 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 don't go on the sun for too long you don't want to get dark yes i do oh if anybody wants we know that you like to be dark (laughs) i live for a tan my skin burns off and texting me with incorrect emojis with correct (laughs) anyway so that was my canceled and then my learned is also (laughs) there's no research to back this except my own Uh is that Emojis can really alert you to emotional maturity. What? So, <laughs> a, <laughs> <laughs> so think about how texting essentially has taken away some of the emotional connection of conversation, right? I can't read the tone in your words. Emojis adds that back in. Hmm. But if you're talking about something and you put three laughing emojis after and what we are talking about is not humorous, that alerts me to how you are processing and how you are comprehending this conversation. And so for me, I'm just going to go forward and like read into emojis a lot. Is this also stemming from your daily life? <laughs> yes. So I told you about this. I was like, I was like talking to a guy and we had just been exchanging pleasantries about how was your day and he I I said that I had like a pretty meeting free day and he was like oh come see me at my job Mm -hmm. three laughing emojis 
And then I didn't say anything because, like, I literally barely know who you are from, like, not met no, at all, no. So then he goes, "You're gonna be my boo." Two laughing emojis (laughs) after me not responding, and to me, that's a psycho. Like that to me, that was that was synonymous to you laughing, like a sad thing happening in a movie, and you're cracking up. That told me of something about your emotional comprehension and also your ability to read any any social cues. (laughs) Why are you laughing? Why are those the emojis you're picking? And I also have not responded, but you're still... But you're still going with something that you think is humorous. And suggesting further that you come see me. So my learned... And that you're going to be my boo. Yuck. Gross. Ooh. Weird. Weird. Yeah. So it a lot. I can't remember any other like dissonant. And that's the word. Yeah. That's the word. Where they send something stuff. and you're just like, oh, yeah. okay. You're not reading you're not, this how I'm reading yeah. it. Because like a misplaced exclamation point could also get you there where you're just like, huh. But to me, <laughs> an emoji, like, and you know, I read into, I'm a careful talker. You know who- <laughs> I'm a careful talker. I'm very intentional. Mm-mm. You know who? What, what's so funny to me when people use ellipses on everything? Uh! We both know somebody. We both know it. somebody. Yeah. And it's like, what? It's yeah. Like what are you crazy. doing? What are you talking yeah, about? Finish it. Da, 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 what? Yes. And to me, and that is another thing where you're mm-hmm. where that told you something about that person and how they're they're mental processing. Yeah. Because what? Number one, what do you think ellipses mean? But- <laughs> Number two, what are you keeping this open for? Mm. To me, there is like a non-committal to that—that mm-hmm. that you can't, you don't ever want to put a period mm. at the end. Listen, y'all, word. start researching your text, y'all. That's you'll find word. out a lot. You'll That's find out a lot. I promise. This person was very non-committal. G- so listen, <laughs> when they send you, that, that, when that. they send you an inappropriate emoji to the conversation that you're having, don't ignore it. Or dot dot dot. Or dot or. It was like six dots. Weirdo. He was a weirdo. Anyway, uh, I think that's it. (laughs) This was a fun episode. This was. This was. I love you. Love you too. Yes. Thank Um, you guys for continuing to listen. Yeah, keep listening. Visit our Patreon. We got a new patron today. I love our listeners. So thank you so much, guys. Like, literally, every dollar you give goes to our editor (laughs) because every every single single dollar. Yeah, we're like, at this point, we just like want a little help with the editing. So um, thank you for that. Visit the show notes. Some of the stuff Raphael talked about in his, we'll put the link to that. And come on back. And have a good week. Yeah, yeah. Love you guys. Bye. Bye.